it's one thing to trust your gut. It's another to have a strong North Star in which your gut is being directed. This is a Better Product original series focused on the power of data and how to use it effectively. I'm Christian. And I'm Anna. Kat Kennedy is a Chief Experience Officer at Degreed, a learning experience platform that provides a better, smarter, faster way to develop and share your team's skills. On her way to her current role, Kat started as a software developer to product management to eventually director of product and then VP of products to Chief Product Officer to now in her current role. She sums up her role succinctly. So now I, I like to say in my role as chief experience officer, I'm using all of the skills that I developed as a product manager, but instead of building products now, I get to apply those to building and scaling a company. What's interesting about Kat's story is how her community growing up shaped the eventual alignment to pursuing a career with Degreed. I grew up on a cattle ranch, actually, a very rural community where most of the people who I was raised with stay there and they go into mining or they continue to ranch and often they don't pursue a formal degree and because of that you know there there might come times throughout their life where they want to make a career change but they very rarely entertain it because they don't have those formal certifications and so being raised in that type of community where all around me are brilliant minds people with incredible skill very innovative, very entrepreneurial. And yet I see this mental block a lot of times where they just don't feel like they're able to pursue other opportunities. And so that, you know, always kind of bothered me. And so as I was able to connect with the founders of Degreed and they painted that world to me, I was like, yes, this is a problem. And this is a problem across not just rural communities, but the globe. And this is something that as we work to solve, will create a more efficient earth, right? Like we'll be able to solve problems more effectively, more efficiently if we put all of the talents that we have to work against the problems that we face. So that's what brought me to Degreed and that's actually what keeps me at Degreed is we're all working hard, both as a company, but also with our clients and our partners to create that world where we can recognize skill no matter how it was attained make sure that people know the skills that need to be developed and that they're able to build those skills and apply those skills to the work that needs to be done. In her words, Degreed partners with companies to help them see what skills their teams have regardless of any formal certifications, allowing individuals to take advantage of the skills and the things that they've learned over their lives. As we hone in on our theme for this series, we'll start the conversation with the data. As you'll hear, Kat doesn't start off digging into the weeds. Nope. She starts off explaining why data matters to their customers and how they use that understanding to create a competitive advantage. So when Degreed started, we were consumer. We were consumer facing. We were trying to just like get to scale, have a lot of velocity, get a bunch of venture backed capital, right? And what we quickly found was like, having a profile that shows everything I have learned, there's very few people that care about that unless that's being used inside of work, you know? And so it was like, okay, great. And then as we talked to companies, they were like, we have no ability to understand our people. And we're like, awesome, great. We've built this tool that can give you all of that. And so I think it's just paying attention. And I think it, it reflects back on data, right? 
that you're both very clear in what you want to solve for individuals. And as you solve that for them, the data that's generated, both the qualitative and the quantitative, is going to show you more opportunities for how to make that more efficient. What's the real problem that you don't understand yet? So it was through being very aware of all of that data, even in the earliest of days, and then also intentional about how we put that data to work. That's what led us to the enhancements across the platform eight years later. How do you mobilize awareness on your team? Are you tracking data? Are you interviewing people? Are you making hypotheses? Can you give us a little glimpse on what building awareness looks like at Degreed? Yes, to all of those things. Cool. <laughs> few things, you know, we're now at the scale where we have a team of analysts that are getting data compiled from Salesforce and game sites, right? So we can understand who is this client, you know, what's the history on them, and then look at the behavior of the individuals inside of that implementation with all of that data as well. So we use Domo as our analytics platform, our BI tool internally, and I love it. If you were to analyze my day, so much of my time is spent inside of the dashboards that the analysts have created for me and that they create for our product managers and the tech leads and the teams that they collaborate with, right? So the data is huge. And what I love is with that data, you're going to see opportunities to dig deeper. Just looking at numbers is never going to be enough, but it does give you hints as to where you should be paying attention. So we'll use those dashboards and see, hey, where do we have something that we can see is cropping up? And then we're going to go dig in, and that's where the product research team comes in. We also have that research team. They're working very closely with our client success representatives internally, with our stakeholders inside of clients. And our clients are so innovative, they have user groups that we can go to as a product research team, dig in with those individuals inside of companies. And then there's just your gut. Sometimes people are going to tell you what to do and you just know, actually, that's not where we wanna be. So trusting your gut to both tell you I can sniff some things up with the data. I can hear them telling me this, but it doesn't quite resonate. And I think that's the hard thing about product management is you have to trust your gut, but you still have to be informed and always making sure that you're striking that balance between I can sense something, I see opportunity. How far do I need to go to prove it out? before I trust that this is the right direction. And, and that's the beauty of what we're able to do from a technology standpoint now. You can test it. You don't have to have the perfect answer. You just need to make a little bit of movement to test your hypothesis. And there's so many ways that we can do that. I often see people just crippled trying to make sure that they have the right answer. But that's not how reality works. Instead, you test the waters, you learn, you test the waters, you learn. And we're all lucky to live in an environment where technology enables us to do that. That wasn't the case 20 years ago. The other thing that we've been well served by, and I think everyone can be, is it's one thing to trust your gut. It's another to have a strong North Star in which your gut is being directed. Without that guidance, it's hard to have 
a large team all moving forward the same initiatives, right? And so as a company, as leaders, what you owe to your people is a clear North Star, a clear strategy, so that they then can operate successfully as individuals to trust their gut, to verify with data, to make sure that we're testing and getting really solid discovery with real people who, are, who will use our products. And so the answer is always, yes and, right? But that's, it's, an, it's a dance, not a science product management and, and being able to strike that balance and find the art and the dance within it is why it's such an incredible field. It's fun. That's an amazing answer. I love that. We've had this conversation, I think, multiple times on this show, but I almost thought about it like you're triangulating, right? Your gut, the quantitative data, and your research team, and you're moving between all those. Like if something hits one, maybe you validate it with the other, but I like that you you bring your gut into that. You talked a bit about how the North Star kind of guides your gut or is part of that thing that will help your team also act independently as well and help them build kind of their intuition about that. When you say North Star, what does that look like? Tell me how that comes to be. The group's lucky because ours has always been the same, right? We had a mission that we are still working to accomplish, which is every individual should be recognized for their skill no matter where it was attained and degrees will be successful when we're the mechanism by which people can be understood recognized and put to work through that recognition of skill and that's been the same 2012 to today and the north star metrics that we use to see if we're actually accomplishing that also been the same and so we've watched the same numbers we have articulated the same message all along, even as we pivoted into how we were going to accomplish that. I feel lucky because so much of what I have to do as a leader is easier because we know exactly what we're up to. We're not in a state where we have to be pivoting and finding a new business strategy. That's when it really gets tough. And I haven't been in that situation, but I know how much easier it is to scale a company when you have it, to have successful and empowered teams. They have to know what they're up to. The challenge that I often give to teams that I'm able to mentor and other companies that I'm able to work with is just no matter what you're up to, be very, very clear so that the teams can help you discover if that's going to be something you can pull off or the company needs to pivot. So that's what I mean when I say North Star. It's like, what's your business strategy? How does product play in? And then how are you measuring your success against those? So Decreed recently acquired Adepto. So I'm really curious to hear a little bit about the goal of that acquisition and what you're hoping Adepto will bring to your product. Fascinating working with these incredible companies who are solving just incredible problems, right? Just brilliant minds, incredible people. And as I talk to these companies who are pulling off such incredible things, and I ask them, what, what's your biggest challenge right now in terms of upskilling your people? The challenge that one, before they had degree, they didn't understand their people. But as we think about that cycle that the individual goes through in their own progression, I want to get better at my current job. Okay, I need to be better at communication. Therefore, I'm going to take this course from Harvard on comms, right? Then I'm going to be better. So like they go through this cycle. Guess what? 
I need guidance around that cycle. What skills do I need to be better at my current job? I'm ready for my next move. What skills should I be developing if I want to progress to the next level in my career? That framework of here's the work to be done, here are the skills that are necessary, doesn't exist inside of companies. Even the most intelligent companies do not clearly have laid out, here's the work to be done, and here are the skills required. And so that's something we've been working with them to solve. You know, one, understanding the work. It's not because those companies don't know what they're doing, it's because work is changing so quickly. Historically, work was defined as, I'm gonna be tenured in this company for how long, I have this career path, I know exactly where I'm going because jobs were clear. Well, now you bring in automation and what machine learning and AI can do, that's not true anymore. People are in careers for one to two years. The jobs that they're doing, even across like one type of role, is very different by individual because they're just putting their strengths and their skills to work. So companies are like, how do I make sense of this work to be done? For a long time, Degree's been working with those companies to help them understand the work, to attach skills to the work to be done. And we just weren't moving fast enough. I wanted to move faster because it's such a critical piece to truly be able to give that guidance and develop those people. And Adepto is a very innovative company with a very similar North Star to our own. They want people to be recognized and put to work no matter who or where they are. And what they had done is the inverse of what Degreed had done. Degreed started by, we're gonna integrate with all of the places where I can develop skill and make it easy to get to it. Adesco said, I'm gonna integrate with all of the places that work exists and make it easy to expose it. And so we had partnered with them for years and I just woke up one morning, was talking to our head of corp dev and we were like, wait a second, we already have the answer. We're already partnering with them. Of course, we've got to bring them into the fold. And, and we've done a number of acquisitions throughout the years with Degree. And I'm just a big believer in acquiring both teams and products to get you to scale. What makes acquisition meaningful to you? Is it solely a business decision or is there something from the product lens that you see that gives you benefits that you wouldn't have otherwise in a partnership structure? Uh, depends on the acquisition. Degree's done three in the past five years. And first one was, I want those people. And I want those people to work with me. And so it was all an aqua hire, right? The second one was a competitor that I wanted to get out of the market. I wanted them out of our way because they were slowing down the sales cycle and the product was awesome and their team was incredible. So I was like, I want that DNA and I want them out of my way. So that was a very different type of acquisition because we just wanted them as part of the team and we were sick of them slowing down our sales cycle. <laughs> this last one was all about product. And I think product isn't just acquiring, here's the software and the code, right? With this one, it's more these people understand this problem and the effort that they have gone through, the lessons that they have learned, I, I need that inside of the company if we're going to be successful at building this product. I think a lot of times we assume, well, that functionality is simple. I can just build that functionality. But what, what's behind that is years of 
learning and experience and you cannot just pick that up. So that's where we decided to acquire them as I knew there's been so many companies that have tried to solve this before. They didn't pull it off. Why would we be so naive to think that we could just build that same functionality and pull it off instead? I need that talent. I need those minds. I need that history in order for us to pull off what we want to achieve. So when it comes to acquisitions, you could look at it as just like a build versus buy and do a cost analysis. But I think that there's so much more than that. The talent, the history, especially when it comes to a product acquisition is very, very important. And also from the sales side, there's the relationships that they formed. Our clients have very complex organizations and structures. And I work with learning and development all of the time. That's very different than those inside of talent acquisition and talent management. And that's who Adepto worked with all of the time. And so understanding the needs of those people was very, very important. And that's not something that we could do quickly. So acquisitions are a nice thing to do when you know you need to pull something off quickly. I might not be able to build it fast enough, but I really know I can't understand the problem fast enough. So that's when we decide to do acquisitions. <laughs> and I appreciate the, the passion behind the, the competitive one too, getting them out of my way. They're an incredible, if anyone from the Pathgatter team, they had built a better product than us. Like it was just a better product. They have been very intentional about user experience. And so rightfully so, you know, they were making deals hard. We'd put a lot of effort into our go-to-market engine and been like, yeah, we'll figure out that product stuff later. And they'd done the inverse. So it was a beautiful combination of our go-to-market engine, their passion for just beautiful experiences. I would do that acquisition 100 times over. I'm so grateful for the DNA that they brought into the company and also that they aren't slowing down our sales cycles anymore. <laughs> I want to kind of go back as kind of like a wrap up of what we've talked about when it comes to like thinking about data. Data as a product management tool is I think pretty pervasive and very well understood or just as a, as a tool to kind of inform a product strategy, a business strategy, but a lot of people collect it and they don't know what to do with it. So I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, from your past experience, what are some lessons that you've learned about not just collecting data, but actually maximizing it and being able to act on it inside a product organization? I'll speak to two different sides of it. One is just how we use that information internally to inform decisions. The data for data's sake, I could go off on a rant for this. Like, it's great to capture data. It is great to have everything, just great machinery so that you can get answers to questions. But in order to create that machinery, you have to know what you are trying to understand. So you should always start with what are you trying to understand? What are the questions that you want to be able to answer? If someone asks me for a data dump before they ask me the question, I'm never going to give it to them. We have not always had a BI tool. It used to be me doing queries and generating a report. And what's nice about having to do the queries is tell me what you want. And so you start to build that muscle of before we just look at data, data is not going, I always picture that meme with like the numbers that are coming together. And then she understands like that's not reality. That's a meme. Instead, you need to know at least what am I asking? And then how does the data help me to answer that question? Data for data's sake 
isn't helpful. You need to be intentional about what you're trying to do and what you're trying to solve, and then use that as an informant. So that's from the product, just management perspective, how we look at and analyze data. From a product perspective, user activity is generating information all of the time. And we need to be aware of one, is the user aware of the data that they are generating based off of that activity and how that is being used. I'm a big, big, big proponent of you need to be candid and transparent about what is happening as that individual is engaging because bringing them value and then selling without their knowledge of what value that they are creating to me, I feel it is very unethical. So you need to be transparent about what they're generating and also how you're putting that to work. So that's one aspect. The other is with everything that we can learn based off of activity, we can create better experiences. As we think about how we put the data to work that is generated inside of Degreed, it's to make a more robust experience for that individual. So if I give, I only get more. And as I give more, I get more value. To me, that is data being put to work in powerful ways. That as I contribute to the system, I'm going to get more out of it than I did before. So we do not monetize any of our data. We use it to create richer experiences for that individual. We also expose it to the organizations so that they can do the same. And we're very intentional about the level of information that we expose to those organizations. Because if we break our pact with the individual, if they don't feel like their data is owned by them, if they feel like it's being misused, whether by degree or by the organizations that we serve, we've broken that pact. We no longer have their trust we no longer are bringing them value. And so we can always build cool things. We could always go and do crazy things with this data, but there is a ethics portion to this as well. And there's the pact that we make as we have people using our products that we need to always honor. And so as we discuss this, both with our end users and with our clients, that's there. And in all of our contracts, it says that the individual owns their data and they are the ones that get to control it. And that is a very, very important part of what we do and how we're actually able to serve the organizations ultimately because we have that trust and because the user is first and foremost in everything that we do. And that was a very long tangent, but I am very passionate about how we use data and especially as the world evolves, right? There's gonna be so much more that we can learn and that we can put to work. And if we lose our humanity in how we put that data to work, like I, that's not the world that we all are trying to create. And I think we need to be very cognizant of that. And we have that responsibility as the people who are building products that just because we can does not always mean that we should. How often internally does someone throw out an idea that you're thinking, we could do that, but that doesn't seem ethical. Again, lucky with that North Star. If people join the company, what they're trying to pull off is giving individuals the mechanisms by which they can be seen, recognized, and awarded opportunities. And so they're coming in because they believe in that. I 
can't remember any conversations internally where I was like, wait a second, you want to do what? The conversations that I'm having are like with clients more so. Clients are like, ooh, there's all this data. Like, well, how could I use this? And, and I just get to counsel with them on like, you know, you don't really want that, right? And as soon as I just challenge them on it, they're like, oh, yeah, of course not. Like, those are the conversations. It's just, I think our gut reaction as product people is yes and. Like, ooh, yes. Yes, I could. And here's how I could. And like, I had to have that trained out. I had to work really hard to suppress that gut instinct as I got into management and, and became an executive, because the answer shouldn't always be yes. It needs to be an intentional why and okay, what's next based off of that why and I have been pleasantly surprised that as I am consulting all of the time with the clients, they get it very quickly. If I were to just gut react and say yes, and then later come to a realization and say no, like that's where I'm going to have a challenge. But internally, North Star, strong mission. I've never had to have that conversation. I'm sure at some point they've come up, but just the principles that we've instilled, they get solved long before it ever bubbles up to me. I'm not trying to get you trap you here, but I have a different way of answering it. Have you ever been surprised by something that you've done, either positively or negatively, maybe that you you thought might be valuable and sharing it with a a a customer thinking one thing, but but were surprised by the reaction, either positively or negatively, just like if that makes that that makes sense, sort of like did you come with hypothesis test and think, oh, people might find this useful, and then you share it with them and, and it surprised you in one way or another, or do you feel like mostly the guesses or the things you put out there sort of bear out with, with customers. One of the rules that my chief product officer has is no surprises. And we operate as a team to never surprise each other. We operate as a company to never surprise the clients. And so that principle is where, you know, I, I'm able to be like, no, and here's why. We go into deep discovery with our clients. And then we have a client advisory board, which is made up of 10 of the clients that I believe I can have the most candid and strategic conversations with and I'll throw out ideas to them. Just like, what if I did this and we build this thing, what would you do? And I can engage in those what ifs with them long before we ever pull that into roadmap and our, you know, figure out a solution to it. Instead, it's, if this happened, what would you do? If we did this, what would you do? What are you trying to solve? And that dialogue especially with my client advisory board has, I think, given us where we've never bumped into that. If I was operating in isolation and just delivering things to clients, I guarantee I would surprise them. I guarantee I would need to pull back. But that's the whole point of discovery is that you are uncovering those landmines before you ever step on them. Talk to clients, talk to clients, talk to clients, talk to clients, talk to users, talk to users, talk to users. That is number one. How will you ever know what to build if you're not having those conversations? And it's much cheaper to have those before you build than after. (laughs) I wish we had like 45 more minutes and we could like dive into the ethics of data. Because I think what you said was just so smart and so good because there's this whole bigger issue too of like, as product people, what responsibility do we have for things we put in the world? Like what do the Facebook product managers, like what responsibility do they bear for a lot of the things that have come from the features that they built? And I think it's a super interesting conversation that we will continue to have. And, it, it, and there is a whole morality and there's a whole ethics. And I think 
companies that think about that and think about their users owning their data is going to be the next really important, I don't know, stance or education or product education. I don't know. So fascinating. Wish we had more time. <laughs> yes, I have a book that I want to recommend. In lieu of us having more time, everyone should read Ruined by Design by Mike Montiero. It's about an eight-hour audible listen. I have no idea how long it would take to actually read it because I just listened to my books. But it's fascinating and it asks all of those questions. And it has case studies from people who have been faced and worked in those companies and now we're facing the repercussions of them. So yeah, I highly recommend that, that book. It's a really great listen or read, however you consume the media. That's a great recommendation. Oh, I love any recommendation, Mike Montero. He, uh, you always know where he stands on things. I haven't read that book yet, but I've heard a lot about it. Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Join us next week as we continue the series with Marika McCloskey of Humu. Thanks for listening to the show this week. If you're looking for more resources on how to design, build, market, and sell better products, then head over to betterproduct.community to join, well, the community. And as always, we're curious, what does better product mean to you? Shoot us an email at podcasts at innovatemap.com.